Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of The Dark Parade. I am your host, Bo, and I am here with you on the second week of our Juniversal celebration. That's right, it is June, and we are doing Universal Horror Movies, thus Juniversal. If you can think of a better title, I'm, I'm open to it, but, but I dare you to come up with something more clever than Juniversal. At any rate... Uh, we did The Wolfman to start things off, and this week we are joined by Derek Bourgeois to talk about The Invisible Man, which got a recent uh, update with the um, Elizabeth Moss version of the film, which is quite good. I, I have a lot of affection for that movie, but the original Invisible Man... I feel like gets a little bit of a short shrift. I don't think it's talked about in the same sort of lofty ways that Dracula and Frankenstein and even the Wolfman are. And I think that's a real shame because I think the Invisible Man in many ways is uh, superior to some of those movies. I don't think it's the best universal monster movie. We'll talk about that at another time. But it is a, a tremendous film mostly because of the performance of Claude Rains, and we'll get into all that just here in a minute when Derek arrives. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I, if you've never seen The Invisible Man, I urge you to stop this right now and go watch the movie and experience it for the first time. It is, uh, it's got a surprising body count to it. It's, it's very funny at times, and, you know, it's one of the things I keep coming back to in this series is to say, you know, th these movies aren't just good for their time. They're still good movies. And I know I went off on a rant about, uh, you know, people who don't like black and white movies last time on the show. So I'm going to forgo that and just say, even if you are not necessarily a fan of black and white films or of movies of this era, you should still watch The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man is a terrific movie. There's a lot about it that feels very modern, while at the same time being very much of of that uh, stripe of that time. In many ways, it is James Well kind of getting the Frankenstein formula correct before blowing that formula up with Bride of Frankenstein. So... Uh, at any rate, I think you're going to enjoy it, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Derek, and so I'm going to shut up. And here is my conversation with Derek about The Invisible Man. Enjoy. Folks, with me uh, is a returning champion here on the Dark Parade. It is uh, our old friend Derek Bourgeois, who uh, is joining us. Not to talk about uh, a Takashi Miike movie or various kaiju, but instead to talk about uh, a different kind of man of the invisible variety. And uh, Derek, how the hell are you? I'm pretty good, man. You know, it's it's it feels like it's been. A, I always say this: it's been a while, but it really hasn't. You know, but it's always good to hear from you both. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been that long, but I've been trying to, to mix it up with uh, uh, some different folks on the show of late. And so that means, like, the returning uh, guests uh, tend to be a little bit further apart. But, uh, um, but that, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. 
uh, just as monocane makes the brain grow crazier. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, aside from it just being great to have you back, I'm excited to talk to you about this movie because this is one of my favorite universal horror movies of this era. And just kind of in general, I really like The Invisible Man a lot. And it's strange to me that it doesn't get the same kind of cachet that something like, you know, Dracula and the Wolfman and even Creature from the Black Lagoon. It, it yeah. doesn't feel like it gets the same kind of respect, but I think it's as good, if not better than all of those. Yeah, I agree. So... Where did you first encounter the Invisible Man in your journeys of, of movie watching and whatnot? Hmm. I'm going to go back to a wee lad when I used to rent movies in the library. Remember the library, Bo? I do. I we we have a really good library here. I'm still I'm still a fan. I've still got my library card. I haven't been for a while. Maybe I should change that since it's kind of slowing down here. But uh. Yeah, uh, I used to rent movies in the library, and a lot of them were like the old Universal classics. And you know, I think I watched like a documentary on one of the Frankenstein extras back in the day, and I saw a clip of this movie. And you know, I was like, "Damn, that looks cool as all hell for that time period." I had to check that out. You know, it was that big scene where you know they reveal who the he reveals himself as an invisible man to like the patrons of the pub, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, then I watched it. I'm like, man, Claude Rains. I want him to narrate my life. <laughs> yeah. Claude Rains is so damn good. I mean, we'll get to this when we talk about the cast and whatnot. And just as we're going through this, but man, Man, Claude Rains is so good. Uh, I, like, I'm a big Claude Rains fan from not just The Wolfman, which I think he's a lot of fun in that, but the uh, the uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington mm-hmm. is maybe my favorite Claude Rains performance. As, as that kind of, you know, the, the no-good senator who ultimately feels kind of bad about it. What are we doing? Yeah, he's pretty great in that. I'm trying to... Yeah, he's notorious. Class of Blanca, too. Like, he's just one yeah. of those old school actors who are like, Claude Rains, man. Yeah, Claude Rains is just, he's, he's just the best. Um, and yeah, so, and I, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, I saw this forever ago, but it wasn't until I got that uh, Universal Blu ray, you know, the collection, the, the uh, Essentials collection. Mm-hmm. And you know seeing it in a really cleaned up way which that transfer looks great and digging into it uh it wasn't until then that i i really kind of fell in love with the invisible man in a way that i don't think i ever had before and and it, part of it is just claude rains of course but part of it is just like this movie is so well constructed and well put together and it moves so fast and I, I just dig this movie a lot. And, you know, one of one of the big reasons I want to do this kind of universal horror month isn't just to kind of rehash 
you know, oh, like, hey, remember Dracula? What, what the horror movie that started at all? But to actually kind of celebrate these movies as not just like these historical artifacts, but of, of being like genuinely entertaining films. And and I think this is like this is from '33, and it's maybe the best example certainly of like special effects in this mm-hmm. time period like there are still special effects in this that are like this is legit good for now yeah man you know like uh it's a great progression of the director too because uh james wheels as a director he did this after he did frankenstein and he did this in between frankenstein and then he later would do Rider frankenstein you can see the uh growth of the filmmaker as these movies progress you know yeah yeah well and it, it, and story-wise too because there's there's a great sort of making of i think it's the the invisible invisible man revealed is what it's called on the disc and mm-hmm. it's uh, uh a documentary about yeah very short like 30 minute documentary about about the invisible man and one of the things they talk about is james whale sort of getting like honing Frankenstein, not just effects wise and all that, but of the story beats of Frankenstein are really the same story beats of the invisible man down to like, Oh, he's got a fiance and there's a rival love interest. That's interested in the fiance, but she's only concerned about her scientist would be fiance or husband. And you know, you have the, uh, sort of the colleague and then you have the the monster in this case the big difference is that Dr. Frankenstein creates a monster whereas in this movie you know Claude Rains as uh, Jack Griffin is the monster like he is the monster he creates himself and you know it's it's sort of him putting all the fine touches on that story and getting all of it to work just right but uh and the other thing is like this it's kind of silly at times which i appreciate but also it's got kind of a mean spirit to it as well oh yeah and i like all of those things um so but let's uh let's dig into it let's talk about this movie what what the movie itself is um, and it starts off. I, I love the opening of this movie because it 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 starts off with a bang, where it's just the Invisible Man in full on, you know, bandages and hat and overcoat and all that stuff showing up to this inn in the middle of nowhere during a, a storm. Yeah, uh, he, he's he's more a mummy than the actual mummy. Boy. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's a bunch of people sitting around drinking and playing darts and whatnot and uh he comes in and he's like i believe i need a room because he's called rains and he speaks like a genius and they're like uh yeah we we can work that out for you and he the owner of the place gets his wife to set him up who is played by una o'connor i love her so much she is so good at this like she's she is the original like hysterical landlady kind of character yeah it was great when wheels brought her back for bride yeah and she kind of plays the same character in bride of frankenstein of just she is the woman who is going to freak out yeah 
It's great. Um, but yeah, so he, she like takes him uh, uh, to this room. There's this great triple shot of when he first comes into the the pub where you get kind of a wide shot of him and then in quick succession a closer shot and then a real close up on his face as everybody goes quiet you know it's sort of that you know hey what about the pentagram on the wall over there and then just everybody shuts up <laughs> <laughs> and um so they they get him a room and uh she's telling him like uno connor is telling him on the way they're like oh this is the coldest winter we've had in years and um you know then he asks for some food and and closes the drapes and basically is like i don't want to be disturbed at all ever and while they leave him alone the rest of the bar is like oh that dude is definitely on the run from the law that is he is a hundred percent a criminal he, he got wounded because he fucking fell on his face jumping over the prison or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they tell the the owner of the bar, the, the Herbert, they're like, "Hey, make sure you lock everything up so this dude doesn't uh, steal all your money." And anyway, so uh, meanwhile, um, there's a, a like they take him some food and then after they they take the food to him he's like i do not want to be disturbed and uh when they they realize afterwards though like oh we forgot the mustard he asked for or whatever yeah and so she busts in on him to give him this mustard and the lower half of like he's taking the bandages off his mouth so that he can eat and as the audience you see very quickly oh the lower half of his face just ain't there yeah and he's like i told you not to disturb me and uh she but he covers up his face real quick and she's like oh my god did you have a a car accident or something and he's like no now take my overcoat to drive but leave my hat also don't say any of this to anyone and she's like, or I will bitch slap you. Right. <laughs> and as soon as she goes downstairs, she's like, he's got bandages all over him. This guy's a freak. Um, <laughs> it's again, just it, it's a wonderful introduction to this character. And we get just a little bit of a tease of what he looks like under, uh, under the bandages. But what I like about this whole opening sequence though, is that you jump right into oh, here's the Invisible Man, here's some invisible shenanigans right up front. And also, this guy seems like a real son of a bitch. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's real solid. And so then we start to kind of fill in the pieces of this because we go to the home of Dr. Cranley, as played by Henry Travers, a.k.a. Clarence the Angel from It's a Wonderful Life. And I it, knew he looked fucking familiar. Dude, yeah, it's absolutely uh, him. You know, uh, Joseph, Joseph, that guy. <laughs> Give me my wings. Yeah, Claude Rains. <laughs> Every time a scientist turns invisible, an angel gets his wings. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so we we are introduced to him, and he's sort of kind of the benefactor of Dr. Griffin, a.k.a. Claude Rains, a.k.a. the Invisible Man. And his daughter 
is Flora, as played by Gloria Stewart, who, um, speaking of James Whale regulars, had just, prior to this movie, had been in The Old Dark House. Yeah. And uh, she comes in because she's worried about her boyfriend. And Henry Travers is like, I wish you'd leave me alone, Flora. I'm working. And she's (laughs) like, you know... I understand that, but also nobody seems to care that my boyfriend is just up and missing and has been gone for a month. Nobody has heard a a word out of the guy. And then uh, into this scenario drops Dr. Kemp, uh, who's played by William Harrigan, who was... um, Harrigan is interesting because he was not really a a film actor uh, much prior to this. But he had mm-hmm. worked on the stage with Claude Rains, and it's kind of assumed that Claude Rains was the one who recommended him for the part when the previous actor dropped out. Huh. And so he is uh, he is in love with Flora. Flora doesn't really give him the time of day too much because she's in love with Dr. Griffin, a.k.a. the Invisible Man. And she tells him, like, I'm really worried about Dr. Griffin. And she runs off crying. And he he goes to to comfort her. And he says, look, he's been up to some some real bullshit recently. And, like, getting into experiments that man should not dabble with. And, like, we were working on all these advances in food preservation. But... Claude Rains was off by himself working in secret on some shit. And uh, so w- we don't know exactly what he was working on, but it wasn't the like benevolent work that we were doing. It's been 84 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gloria Stewart, very famously, is not only is she in this and the old Dark House and a bunch of movies uh, of this era, but she had her career kind of stalled. And um, she tried to get, like have a run on on Broadway, and that never really worked out. And for a large portion of her later life, her job was doing um, print work, like uh, like assembling uh, books and doing like uh, special editions of of you know volumes of poetry and stuff like that. And it was really kind of James Cameron who pulled her out of some obscurity to be in Titanic. And she is the old woman in Titanic. Um, Yes. And uh, has since, I think she, she passed away not long ago. Yeah, like 2010. At the age of 100. Totally a long life. Yeah, that's a hell of a run. A hundred years is something we should all aspire to. And and weirdly, she was working up through, like, 04? Like, she was in her 90s before she retired from acting? Yeah. So, mm, um, anyway. She, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, She's I mean, that, that's crazy. Uh, but, yeah, so... And she, she was also in the TV show The Invisible Man. In the early 2000s. I was actually going to I just saw that. I was going to mention that. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. My dad used to watch that show. Um, but yeah, yeah. So 
Anywho, uh, so we cut back over to our invisible man who is, you know, basically has set up this laboratory, a laboratory, in, uh, in, in this rented room of his. And he's kind of telling himself, like, one of the lines is like, there has to be a way back, you fool. There must be a way back. And so the impression that we get is that Dr. Griffin has gotten himself into some shit and is trying to figure out how to undo what he's done. And uh, he also, when uh, Una O'Connor comes in, um, he he ends up screwing up the formula he's working on and basically chases her out of the room and, you know, is like, this an entire day's experiment's ruined by this old lady who wants to talk too much. It's like, throws a beaker against the wall and that kind of thing. And so she tells her husband, she's like, look, you got to get this guy out of here. Like, A, he hasn't paid us. And B, not only has he not paid us, he is throwing shit at me and yelling, and I think it's time we got rid of him. And he and the husband's like, well, maybe we let him calm down before I go up there and tell him that he's he's going to be thrown out. And uh, But she's not going to hear it. Get up there and take care of this. So off he goes. Brand. <laughs> right to get to get some rent money and mm. and so forth and he he goes into the room with uh like uh the bill essentially and is like hey you, you know you owe us some money and also you're beating up my wife and that's my job and he anyway so the invisible man says like well it's I've, I've been in this accident. It's defi- disfigured me. I will pay you this money, but just not right now. And Herbert kind of sticks up for himself. And so the invisible man throws him out of the room and then down the stairs. And this guy tumbles all the way down, ends up bruised and bleeding. And at this point, the police are called. And, you know, this is where you get into squatter law. And that kind of thing. We got we got to get this guy off our land, kind of shit. And mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so they the, the police show up. They're uh, they're like, hey, so what's going on? They're like, oh, we got this disfigured guy upstairs, and we need, uh, you know, he threw poor Herbert down the steps, and he's all bloody and shit. So we need to get rid of him. And so the police go up there, and. This is the point where Claude Raids goes full like wackadoo invisible man. Where he's like, So you'll show you what you are. I'll show you what I am. Yeah. And he starts to take off his like goggles that he's wearing and uh the the bandages around his face. His fake nose. Yeah, here's one for you. Yeah, right. Here's something for your children or whatever. And yeah, and and he starts just running around the room and Claude Rains has one of the great all-time cackles. Oh, uh, what if Claude Rains played the Joker? That would be pretty amazing. Dude, it is, I think Mark Hamill even said that his performance of the Joker is based on Claude Rains in this movie. I can see that. It it totally is. And not only does this establish the bona fides of this movie that Mark Hamill, uh, Mark Hamill himself, is using, kind of cribbing this performance to do one of the great jokers of all time. 
Um, dude, this guy goes fucking batshit. Where he's telling this room full of cops, like, all you need is a few chemicals mixed together in the proper propor- proportions, and flesh and blood and bone just fade away. And so he, like, he strips down, gets naked uh, so that he's invisible in this room, and throws open the windows. And the cops go over and they're like, oh, he must have escaped out the window. And he says, you think I'd escape like a common criminal? You need a lesson. I think I'll throttle you. And so he starts choking this cop. (laughs) And then, like, knocks the other cops out of the way who are guarding the door. Runs downstairs. Knocks over a clock. Steals a bicycle. From Walter Brennan. From Walter Brennan. Rides off in the middle of this town. And again, these are all kind of special effects where you're just having all this stuff operate without you know a person yeah uh but he like throws a bike at some people and then hits them with a broom my favorite of everything he does is just turning over a baby carriage just shoving it over into the middle of the road just yeah take this baby (laughs) (laughs) it's so good uh yeah so he just loses his nut and goes through this town and just causes havoc, throw shit through windows and all kinds of things. It's just a, a, like a real, uh, a real pest of him uh, that he makes of himself. Um, but yeah, so then the uh, her, Henry Travers and Kemp start looking for clues as to where Griffin has gone or what work he was doing, and they find a list of of chemicals and stuff, and then when uh kemp mentions monocaine henry travers is like monocaine that's a terrible drug um and it's basically it drains the color from anything it touches and they were gonna use it as a bleach but it destroyed the material that they were trying Mm -hmm. to bleach and also we get the information that if you if you use it on a living thing and the the case that they cite is uh, it was a dog that they used it on that it basically makes you go crazy in addition of draining you of all color damn right so uh uh you know a bleach that makes you go all cuckoo bananas and so then at, at this point kemp has decided or i'm sorry griffin the invisible man has decided that he's going to enlist the aid of kemp his kind of somewhat work colleague and potential romantic rival. And, and while, while Kemp is listening to like this radio report of like, it turns out that a bunch of hillbillies have claimed that an invisible man was wreaking havoc in their town. And Kemp is like, wait a second, an invisible man wreaking havoc. Why that might be my old friend Griffin and Lando Griffin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and sure enough Griffin then shows up like well he's been in the house all along as it happens uh, but he turns off the radio and um, it's a, a, a fun little effect where like we see uh, the chair like turn towards the fire and a log throws itself on the fire and then you see uh, the pressure of someone sitting down in this chair and everything and um, 
and, and oh, and the line that he has when he introduces himself is, and everyone deserves the fate that's coming to them. Panic, death, things worse than death. Don't be afraid, Kemp. It's me, Griffin. And as if, like, as if that's comforting in any way. That just makes you sound even crazier. And, but yeah, so it, it at this point, Griffin kind of gives him the lowdown of, hey, uh, I was injecting myself a little bit each day and I made myself invisible and I need basically a partner in crime. And so what I'm going to need from you is I'm going to need some surgical bandages and a cool-ass pair of sunglasses, some pajamas, gloves, probably a hat, a wig. And he's like, and meanwhile, I'm going to be staying with you in a real bosom buddy scenario, so don't even worry about it. And uh, and basically just moves into Kemp's pad. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is terrific. Takes it over. Yeah, completely. And yeah, so then we move over to the a, a detective who shows up at, at the pub and everybody is telling him all these stories about this invisible man and he think this, thinks this is all bullshit but uh, you know he is in theory on the case mm-hmm. then we go back to Kemp's place where mm-hmm. the invisible man comes out uh, you know like wearing his invisible man get up so that you can see him and this is where Kemp is like, hey, I've got, uh, you know, this great idea that basically, I'm, the, he, the way he puts it is, the drugs I took seem to light up my brain. And suddenly I realize the power I held, the power to rule, to make the world grovel at my feet. We'll soon put the world right now, Kemp. You and I. So it's the, the same kind of shit. It's, it's very uh, fascistic. Of like, hey, I'm super powerful. Here's what I'm going to do. Is I'm basically going to create a reign of terror. And when the world is willing to do my beckoning, at that point, I'm just going to take over. And then we can make the world a much better place. The place that we've always imagined. But to get there, we got to do some heinous shit. And, you know, yeah, go a, on. Great, a great man once said, some men can just watch the world burn. Dude, the way he puts it is, we'll begin with a reign of terror, a few murders here and there. We might even wreck a train or two. And and this is what goes down. Like, so the, the detective is now, like, trying to track down whoever it is that, that's causing all this problem. Um, like you said, Walter Brennan shows up to tell him, like, hey, somebody sold my bike. And Kemp and Griffin end up going back to the pub for his notes, but they stop a ways away so that, you know, the police don't see them. And he kind of, the invisible man sneaks upstairs, goes to his room, gathers all of his, you know, books and notes, hands them out the window to Kemp. And, but he can't resist fucking with this new detective who is like trying to sign some paperwork and the invisible man just starts moving the ink pot around that he's trying <laughs> to use and then throws it in his face. Because again, the invisible man is much like the Joker, a force of total chaos. Yeah. You know, it's not just, Hey, I'm going to, 
you know, strangle this policeman. It's I'm going to throw bikes at people and turn over baby buggies and throw ink at the guy investigating me. I'm just going to be uh, the loosest of loose cannons. And, and sure enough, when the cops see all this happening, they're like, you know, ah, demon. And they all run off. And the invisible man just starts beating the detective with a stool before he decides to beat feet and goes back to the car where Kemp's waiting for him. And, um, and it turns out that he has killed this head de- detective. Damn. So, yeah. And, dude, the body count. We'll get to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it's substantial. For, especially when you think, like, something like The Wolfman. It's, what, two, three people die in that whole movie? Invisible Man's not fucking around. He's killing people left and right. Yeah. yeah he is the highest body count of a lot of people. <laughs> I think of any of the uni- the uh, the like OG Universal monsters, Invisible Man is tops. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so he tells Kemp like you know he gives him the, sort of the list of rules, sort of the the like you know I can only be killed by silver and uh, the moon changes me and all that kind of thing. But his is like, I have to stay in hiding after I eat because I've got to wait for the food to become digested. Um, I can only work on clear days because if there's rain, um, then you can see the water on me. Fog, you can see me because I'm, I'm like moving through the fog. You can see the, the shape of my body. Uh, I can't go to a, a, a city with a lot of smoke because the soot will settle on me. And we can't have that. And so after kind of giving him all this, like, you know, here's why it kind of sucks to be invisible. Um, but this is just our plan. We got to stay kind of in the countryside. You know, he fucks off to bed, leaving Kemp to kind of like, I don't know what we ought to do. This seems real dicey. Um, and so, all right, all right, we've got a new chief of police who's given orders to his men. They're like, hey, we're going to scan the countryside. We're, we're Every doghouse, henhouse, outhouse, we're doing a house-by-house search for 20 miles in every direction. We're going to get 1,000 men. We're going to get even more volunteers, and we're just going to beat the countryside until we find this invisible son of a bitch <laughs> and, and take care of it. And they, they, there's a thousand dollar reward for him even, which I didn't look at the math on this, but probably in today's currency, that's what, you know, a hundred grand or something. They're not trying to find him. Well, that's the problem. That's why you got to make the, the, uh, reward so high is like you, you have to run into this guy or trip over him to discover him. Oh yeah. And so... Kemp, meanwhile, is up to no good, or at least as far as the Invisible Man is concerned, because he's going to call Dr. Cranley, a.k.a. Henry Travers, to tell him, like, hey, I'm with the Invisible Man, and he's cuckoo. And so uh, Henry Travers tells him, like, hey, I'm going to come in the morning, but for the time being, you got to keep him chilled out. (laughs) Chill them bitches out. And... uh, we get uh, like another return of uh, Gloria Stewart. Who's like, father, you have to tell me what's going on with my would be husband. 
And he's like, well, he's having some troubles right now. So, uh, John Carradine, by the way, shows up in this movie. Yeah. Uh, not credited as John Carradine. I can't remember what his stage name was at that time, but it's uh, not John Car- Carradine. Anyway, he shows up in a really small bit part to tell the chief of police, like, you ought to throw ink on him. That way you'll know where he is. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and then Kent drops a dime, like after calling Henry Travers, he drops a dime to the police and he's like, listen, the invisible man here is here in my house. I get the reward money, right? And uh, they're like, oh, we're on our way. So, um, Dr. Cranley, aka Henry Travers, and Flora are on their way to Kemp's place. And when the invisible man is like, You've betrayed me, haven't you, Kemp? And he kind of comes clean. He's like, look, I told our old boss, Henry Travers, and, you know, he wants to help you. We all just want to help you. And so they show up, and there's a, a moment we with um, the Invisible Man and Flora where she's like, look, we, uh, we just want to help you, and, you know, my father's here and Kemp's here, and we're all going to do whatever we can to, to get you back to normal. And... The Invisible Man tells her at this point, like, I did all this for you because I was just a poor scientist up till now. And so what I, I, by proving that this formula exists and will work, now I can be super famous and wealthy and I'm going to sell the secret of my formula to the highest bidder and Invisible Armies can sweep the world. And you can see like, oh... The monocane is making him go cray cray again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she even tells him that. She's like, it's the monocane. It's got a terrible effect. Unlike cocaine, which just gives you lots of good ideas and makes you want to stay up late, the monocane makes you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to open a restaurant for me and my old college friends. <laughs> That's the cocaine, not the monocane. <laughs> We're going to have a club at the back and maybe a coffee house, but also sell used and books. And we'll name it Studio 54. Yeah. <laughs> Mono Kane, the, the source of all of the 70s problems. <laughs> um, so anyway, the police show up. They surround Kemp's house. Uh, Griffin is like, Froa, I need you to leave the room for a moment. I've got to deal with the police. And so the police basically form a red rover line around the house and start to move towards it and before he leaves the invisible man drops by Kemp's office and he's like well Kemp you've betrayed me tomorrow at 10pm I'm going to kill you and so he then just fucks off he's like so long smell you all later police and so he is now loose on, on his own again and the chief of police like questions Kemp and Henry Travers, and they're like, "We don't know, man. All we know is he's crazy and invisible. So you are now up to speed on what we know and what we can help you with." Yeah, like it's crazy because even like in the the newer Invisible Man movie, they're like, "Hey, they had no idea what the fuck they were dealing with." <laughs> yeah, but. The thing I like about this, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll talk about the the new one on the back end of this, but 
the the thing I like about this is it really shows you the just sheer trouble you can get up to if nobody can yeah. see you. Like when when anyone gives you that question of like, what would you rather have, the power of flight or you know the power to turn invisible? If someone tells you that they want to turn invisible, that means that they are they are up to shenanigans. Yes, and they're probably a deviant. Yes. So yeah, sure enough, Griffin uh, attacks some people in this search party, um, upping the body count. He derails a train that sends it crashing into uh, this river, murdering another hundred people all at once. He like goes to a bank and steals a bunch of cash and then hands it out to a bunch of people on the street. Um, I mean, again, he is up the ante. He's no longer just throwing bicycles at people. He is straight up murdering and robbing and pillaging. Yes. And so, uh, Dwight Fry shows up from uh, Dracula. Speaking of every movie, uh, yeah, he shows up to ask the chief of police, like, "So, what are your plans for capturing this invisible bastard?" And the chief's like, "I don't know, man. It's tough. We're doing our best." Uh, thoughts and prayers are with the the people, the victims of the Invisible Man. Um, but meanwhile, uh, the chief all says like, "Hey, ba- what we're gonna do is we are going to um, use Doctor Kemp as bait because he's threatened his life, and so at, when he comes to kill Kemp, we are basically going to." Um, dress Kemp up like a policeman <clears throat> but Kemp is like no no fuck all that I will take care of myself you guys are a bunch of bumbling idiots and then he gets in his car and drives away a big mistake Kemp which is oh exactly the wrong thing to do because hanging out in the back seat the whole time is the invisible man and uh, he pops up and he's like so Kemp I've been watching all of this unfold. You're really stupid, you know that? And he ties him up, puts him in the back of the car, or puts him in in, in the car, and he says, here's what's going to happen, Kemp. I'm going to release this brake. Then I'm going to give it a shove. It's going to go get up to about 20, 30 miles an hour before it goes off the side. Then it's going to hit a rock, and that's probably going to break both of your arms and legs, Kemp. And then you'll have uh, another hundred yards that will probably be be quite a thrill before it lands at the bottom of the ravine when your neck is broken and you lie dead there. And and that's what he does. He he just shoves this car over the side of a cliff where it explodes and kills Kemp. R.I.P. Kemp. Uh, Yeah. So So anyway, he ends up sleeping overnight in this barn and a farmer just by sheer happenstance sees the hay moving and and realizes like oh i think i got an invisible man on my on my hands and uh we also see that it's starting to snow so the farmer goes to the police station is like hey i hope that reward is legit because i think the invisible man is in my barn and so the police are like great Rather than catch him, how about we just burn the barn to the ground? And if he tries to escape, we'll follow the foot footprints leading away from the, the barn. And if he doesn't, eh, 
you know, so much the better. <coughs> and, uh, pardon me. And so, and that's what they do. They go to the barn, set fire to it. The invisible man, uh, flees. It's a really cool effect where you see his right. feet. Yeah. Just the, the feet sinking into the snow. And then he just slumps over. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of, you know, leads us to the end of the movie where they go to uh, the hospital where, uh, the invisible man is, is being kept and, and is dying. And, uh, the doctor is like, Hey, you know, the chief shot at him. The bullet went through both of his lungs. The, we can't possibly save him because it's 1933 and there is no way to do that. So, uh, you know, if you got anything to say to him, now's the time. And, uh, and sure enough, Flora goes into his room and, and is, you know, like, I'm here, I'm here, Jack. And as he dies, he becomes visible. And, and again, a pretty cool effect for the time where, like, you see his skeleton and then kind of his veins for a second and then, Claude Rains. you know, him. Yeah, and then Claude Rains, uh, who you don't ever see in the movie except for this scene. And, yeah, and then, you know, he he's dead. End of movie. End credits. I'll never let go, Jack. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like a really tragic story from Flora's point of view, at least. But from the audience point of view... This is a rockin' movie about an invisible guy that gets crazier as the movie goes along until he gets shot and killed. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, I don't know about you, Derek. I approve of that. I do, too. He kills mad people. Dude. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it, but holy shit. So, anyway, so that's the plot of the movie. And, and it rules. Like it, it has this movie is what seventy one minutes long. Yeah, it it goes it flies right by. Dude, it trucks. So, all right, let's talk about the actual cast of this film. Um, which you can't do this without starting off with Claude Rains. Claude Rains was like he was a stage actor for a long time. Uh, the story goes, Derek that James Whale was casting the movie and didn't originally it was going to be Boris Karloff was going to play the invisible man, but Karloff, the stories kind of vary. Some people say, well, it, it was because Karloff didn't want, uh, to be in a movie where nobody ever saw him. He'd just done Frankenstein. Yeah. And was under all that makeup, so now you're not. Not only are is he going to be buried under makeup, you're not going to see him at all. The other story is that he and James Whale had had more of a like a romantic falling out, and just weren't working together uh, after um, the Long Dark House mm-hmm. or Old Dark House. Sorry, so. Um, at any rate, they needed an invisible man, and Claude Rains had done what was described by his daughter as like a phenomenally bad screen test for a movie because he was trying to get work in films. This was an early, early movie. I think he'd been in one British film 
prior to the Invisible Man. So he'd done a lot of stage work and that kind of thing. So he does a, a, a screen test, and it's terrible. Like it's a uh, he is acting theatrically, not for a movie camera. Mm-hmm. And the the rumor is the story is that uh, James Whale happened to hear the screen test that Claude Rains did, and was like that's it because I've got to get a guy in this movie that because you're not going to see him, his voice has to be so good that his voice carries the Yeah. And it does. And totally does. But the rest of the people were like, are you fucking crazy? Cause are you watching this screen test? It's terrible. And James Bell was like, I don't care. The voice is what I want. And the voice is what I'm going to have. And of course he went on, you know, Claude Rains did Invisible Man and then was off to the races, did a, you know, a million other roles and was fantastic up until the time he died. Hell, it was even weird when uh, he played Lon Chaney's dad. Yeah, yeah, which happened, what, a few years later? It wasn't that long before he was in um, Wolfman. The Wolfman. Uh, yeah, like you said, he uh, was at 41? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so eight years later, he's playing, you know, Lon Chaney Jr.'s father. Hey, Pop. How you doing, Pop? Hello there, son. <laughs> Hello, Lon Chaney Jr. Clearly, we are from the same place. You're, you're like seven feet taller than me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at you, you big beefy bastard. <laughs> Clearly, you came from my loins. But... <laughs> 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 But yeah, Claude Rains, it, you just, you can't have this movie without his performance. And it's one of those things, like, I don't know, it, it's one of those roles that I don't think there's anyone who could have been better. In yeah. I'm, because he plays crazy great and he plays sane. Yeah. Although I do want to see, Car- I would be interested if Karloff did it, like if he narrated the How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, I don't know. I, I don't know that Karloff can get like that frenzied laughter, that kind of Joker quality. That's true. And and that's what makes Invisible Man work so well for me is that the Invisible Man sounds like he is capable of anything. Yes. You know, like he's gonna get up to some shit. So in other words, in the words of Bella Lugosi, fuck Karloff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? I'm sure he would have been fine in the role, but it's just so hard to imagine, you know, Karloff pulling off the bits of like, here's your bicycle back, and here's a little brush for your hat. Uh, you know? Here's your bicycle. Yeah, and he, you know, he had kind of done that Mongo character for Old Dark House, and um, but yeah, Claude Rains is so damn good in this, and um, worth noting that part of the effects work that was done to make him the Invisible Man of the Invisible Man um, was they would basically shoot a scene without him in it, and then they would dress him in this like black velvet bodysuit mm-hmm. kind of like the uh, the green man from 
Always yeah. Sunny, only Black Velvet. And then would shoot the scene again against a Black Velvet background. And then would superimpose that over oh, the scene cool. and stuff. And Yeah, it was really neat. And I think the... Uh, uh, Bolton is the guy's name. Hold on, let me... Um, give you the exact name of this guy. Yeah, John P. Fulton is the guy who did uh, the special effects for this movie and then would go on and do the special effects for like the Invisible Man sequels that Claude Rains was not in because he was dead. <laughs> the character was. Um, But yeah, so uh, any other notes about Claude Rains? I know I'm just going on about him, but he's so fucking Yeah, crazy. he's good. Yeah, you know, like even like some of like the later movies, like the stuff he did with like Antonio Margaretti, like War Between Planets, yeah. really good. You know, was, uh, he, yeah. Apparently, he had a very distinct Cockney accent. Like he, his daughter described it as like he came from the wrong side of the Thames, mm-hmm. and had a stage voice that you know he used in Invisible Man and. Uh, as well as uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, like the, the voice we know as Claude Rain's voice, but he had a really pronounced Cockney accent and a stutter that he had to overcome and then basically adopted this voice that he he used to become the Claude Rain's we know and love. Um, anyway, super interesting guy. Um, but yeah, alright, so Gloria Stewart as as Flora, who we've mentioned, she's in it for, you know, five minutes more than I am. Yeah. She, she's kind of a non it. Like, it's it's a real, like, hey, we gotta wedge her in this somehow uh, because we need a lady friend. Um, then you've got William Harrigan as Kemp. Uh, he's totally fine. I really like Henry Travers as, as Cranley. Yeah. Uh, just because I like Henry Travers. I think he's a, a really fun actor. And really, Uno O'Connor is kind of the next build as far as memorable performances. And Uno O'Connor's, as we said, effing great in this. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, anybody else you want to call out? You know, there's like some like uncredited, like Walter, like we said, Walter Brennan, young, very young Walter Brennan, which is kind of cool. I grew up watching him in like Rio Bravo when he's older, so it's weird, you know. But you right. know, and John Carradine, that's a cool, you know, he did like a little like side roles before he started getting like credited stuff for Universal, where he would later go on to play fucking Dracula. Oh, I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Uh, at some point, we'll get to those movies, but man. There is a deep bench of like weird universal Dracula and Frankenstein spinoffs that are like, who's in this again? Lon Chaney Jr. as Frankenstein's monster. Got it. Okay. But not in Evan Costello be Frankenstein and the Wolfman. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's weird. But um Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, Dwight Fry shows up to do a, a very small bit part. Can't be but... a Universal monster movie without Dwight Fry. He's pretty much in most of the early ones, you know. Absolutely the best Renfield. Uh, I, Tom Waits is a close second, but Dwight Fry is my Renfield of choice. Yeah, him and Tom Waits definitely. 
The master's here. He's coming yeah. now. But Dwight Barry has that like. <laughs> yeah, when they find him on the boat, it's great. Oh, it's so good. Um, all right, well, let's get to the headier stuff about this movie then, which uh, are the, the themes of the film. And interestingly, I think, um, H.G. Wells, who, when I think of H.G. Wells, I think of, like, somebody writing way back in ancient times. Mm -hmm. But H.G. Wells was alive when this movie was made and had final script approval. Yeah. Which is great, because the book was only, like, he had written in this in the what 1890s so the book is about 40 years old and also the, the as the story goes the adaptation of the island of dr moreau which hg wells also wrote of course uh and was called Island of uh, lost souls yeah with, with charles lawton um that he was not pleased with that at all no i still i and love so, that movie well the the <laughs> The thing is, H.G. Wells, in writing the, uh, the Island of Dr. Moreau, like, H.G. Wells was a, a very renowned socialist mm -hmm. and believed in a lot of uh, political causes and that kind of thing. And Island of Dr. Moreau is very much about classism and, uh, the, you know, people ruling over the poor and, and the, the castaway and that kind of thing. And then he saw Island of Lost Souls and was like, well, none of that is in this movie. This is just a horror movie. I wonder what he would think about the Marlon Brando one. Right. Oh, man. My God. If he rolled over in his grave. He'll be like, uh, Island of Lost Souls, not that bad. Now that I think about it, not, not too shabby. <laughs> Charles Lawton did all right. But, yeah, so he he had final approval of the script for the invisible man. And, um, so th there were a number of writers for this movie, like Preston Sergis was one of the writers, like a, a, a just murderers gallery, a rogues gallery of great writers of the time who had done stage work and film work and, uh, and so forth. And it, it fell to a guy named RC Sheriff who had written, a play that James Whale directed and that play is kind of what launched James Whale's career along with a lot of others and so he finally brought R.C. Sheriff in and was like hey man we need a script and we need somebody that I trust to, to write it and when R.C. Sheriff got the job he he asked the, the heads of Universal and, the, you know, the people making the movie, he was like, okay, well, l l give me a copy of the book. And they were like, uh, well, we have all these scripts written from the book. And he's like, are you, nobody has a copy of the damn book. And so he, ha he had to go out and find a copy of The Invisible Man. And then he read that. And then he read all these adaptations that had been done, which it turns out were less adaptations of The Invisible Man then adaptations of another book by a guy named Philip Wiley called The Murderer Invisible. <laughs> and that is kind of where you get the crazy Invisible Man. Because in the, the, the book, The Invisible Man, 
the the main character is a little bit of an asshole, but he kind of starts off that way, and it's not the drugs that make him go crazy. He just finds himself invisible and then starts trying to use that to affect social change and that kind of thing. So there are threads of the murderer invisible in this, but that book had a bunch of crazy shit about like turning rats invisible that would spread invisible uh, uh, bubonic plague in the cities. And then there was a version that was a bunch of invisible Martians and all kinds of stuff. And RC Sheriff was like, this is all crap. So what we're going to do is we're going to make the book and we're going, the, the tweak we're going to make is that the drug makes him crazy and he does murderous stuff. And so RC Sheriff kind of wrangled it all together and HG Wells ultimately approved that because most of his book was intact. And I only say all of that to say that the movie ultimately becomes about like, you just can't play God with like turning invisible and stuff. And that like there are repercussions to trying to take that shortcut to ruling the world. And, and, you know, you can argue that when the invisible man talks about, Hey, I want to do, I want to do this so that we can make the world a better place. But to get to that better place, I've got to kill a bunch of people. And so, you know, that like, there is that argument to be made. Like, well, is, is the brighter day tomorrow worth the suffering that he's going to cause today? And that's sort of the idea of like fascism uh-huh. to some degree. And so I think there's a, a healthy dose of that in the movie as well of, of, you know, Hey, look out for fascists. Also don't play God. Yeah, I agree. It's very deep, especially with like, you know, like the scenes where he's talking about like murder and people and stuff. It's very, I, I can see that when they interpret it from the film itself. Very much so. Yeah, and there's a little of that, like, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're invisible and nobody can catch you, then, and you know you can get away with some shit, you just get up to more Yeah, shit. like he's robbing banks and shit and killing trains of people and just, wow. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, like... As I've often said, there there are movies that we cover on this show that are like, eh, you can kind of strain to pull a theme out of it, but mostly it's like, well, Night of the Demons is about don't get drunk at a haunted don't house. Don't do seances and possessed areas. Don't right. stick lipstick in your titties. Oh, definitely not. Um, which was the original title of that movie, I believe. I know. I turned you uh, on. And so, um, mm. so there's a little bit of the, you know, like sometimes we struggle to find that, but a movie like The Invisible Man, th- there's a fair amount of that. There's some criticism of like, you know, him manipulating the the local and the poor people of this town, and you know, again getting into. Uh, some of the things that make, um, you know, H.G. Wells' work 
sort of socially relevant. And there's whiffs of that. Like, that's... At the end of the day, Universal definitely wanted to make a monster movie. But it's... Like, James Whale is just a good enough director that there's still all that stuff kind of feathered into it. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best. And... Oh, James Whale. I mean... It, th- all of this has got me wanting to go back, and I may do it before the month is out, uh, to go back and watch Gods and Monsters again. Such a good movie. Terrific movie, and I think I would have a much greater appreciation of it watching it now after having kind of mainlined so many of his best films. Um, or at least all the monster stuff. You know, he did he did a lot of other movies that were... Just as good, I'm sure. Yeah, I know, like, uh, Showboat was actually released from Criterion. It's crazy that there's a James Wheel movie that's Criterion now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they should all be Criterion. Or at least, I, like, I wish that his Universal monster stuff was on the Criterion. I would love to have, like, ginormous editions of these with even more special features. Like, that Essential Collection is pretty good. Not not impugning the the work done there but i would love especially for something like bride and this i would love to hear more and more like the invisible man i find fascinating as just as a movie how the movie was made um the everything from the special effects to the casting to how the script finally settled into place all of that stuff i, I found super interesting from a like film historian kind of point of view, it's such a good movie. Um, and to that point, let's let's get to final thoughts and scores, and let's talk um, about uh, how you felt about this movie on, on revisiting it. And also, uh, as always, we do a five point scale. Half points are allowed, but. Uh, no quarter stars because we are not monsters here unlike the characters of the film we are not monsters um so i don't know derek what are where where do you land with invisible man and maybe more pointedly like in terms of the rest of the universal library where do you feel invisible man stacks up invisible man is definitely top tier universal it's it would probably be my fourth or fifth favorite one because you know I'm more partial for like some of the ones in between those and like, even some of like the uh, sub universal movies a little bit more like you know like the black cat and the invisible ray I kind of watch those ones a little bit more than this one but this one's no slouch either uh you know, I'm a sucker for the Wolfman and Gilman. <laughs> you know, those are my go-tos. Mm-hmm. But uh, Invisible Man's no slouch either. It's a it's a great film with a great performance uh, by a man who we don't see until he's dead. <laughs> you know, it's great. And that's a hard act to follow, you know. And it's a, a very, very greatly paced film. Great uh, effects work done throughout it that I can appreciate even from the time period that it came out and it's still mind blown some of the effect shots of this movie. It's great. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, great performances. Uh, 
The story's pretty great also, you know, just the structure of it and the way some of the shots are fucking lavish, like the one shot where, you know, just Kemp's just walking through uh, another room to follow Gloria Stewart and you can see like he's actually borrowed like a setup from like a stage performance where it's like it's just an intersecting shot. It's just one long shot, but you can see like the room's cut open. So yeah, that's kind of a cool thing I noticed on this rewatch for the first time. But uh, yeah, Invisible Man. It's a classic for a reason. It stands the test of time, and it influenced some of my favorite movies, including Sam Raimi's Dark Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 No. So it's. Pretty hard, uh, you know. I said I was, uh, it's going to be a rare performance for me for when I, we did My Bloody Valentine, but I think this film is more deserving of it. It's five out of five. It's a great movie. Excellent. Um, I agree with you. I think this is a five star movie. Um, uh, not only because I like all the backstory stuff. But also because I just think this movie, it, it moves at a clip. It is one of the great early monster movie performances. Um, I, you know, it, it, it's just repeating myself to say Claude Rains is so damn good in this movie. It's, it's almost like unfair to everyone else in it. Yeah. And he's, he's such a great villain. Um, it's a shame he never reprised this role, but I also do admire the fact that they stuck to their guns and were like, oh, no, no, no. The original Invisible Man is dead. By the way, what is Vincent Price doing? Because um, he comes in for the scene. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a terrific movie. And, and w- probably in my top three of the Universal stuff. Um, I really, really like this one a lot. I, I think the, the direction is fantastic and the special effects are still like, okay, I know. All right. They did then this one with strings, but then there's that scene where, you know, he unwraps himself in front of the mirror and it's like, man, that's a pretty good effect. Um, even today. And I think it, I, I believe they said that took, Com, uh, using a composite of four different shots to make that shot work. That would make sense. Which for, yeah, and for 1933, that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, just a monument to special effects. The kind of special effects that still hold up today. So, oh, yeah. uh, terrific. Um, all right. Well, obviously, we are both telling you, uh, listeners that you absolutely need to listen uh not listen but uh you need to watch the invisible man if you have not um and ideally uh you will get that universal essentials box set of blu-rays which will give you almost all of the movies we're talking about this month but uh, yeah i'll give you like six copies of african cello me frankenstein for some weird reason Man, I, at some point I'm gonna go back and revisit those as well because it's been a long time since I watched the Evan Costello stuff. Hell yeah, still good. Um, all right. So 
Let's do the three things you may not know about the Invisible Man. Oh, boy. And (laughs) so all you scholars out there, all the people who keep writing me and saying, I know all there is to know about the Invisible Man from 1933. Well, we'll see. Uh, All right. So the the first time Claude Rains took his daughter to see the Invisible Man, uh, it was in a, a theater in Pennsylvania in 1950. And as the movie is playing, he is leaning over to his daughter and he's like, well, let me tell you, this is how we did this scene. And this is how we did this scene. As that is happening, people realize, holy shit, Claude Rains is in this theater and he's telling his daughter about how this movie was made. And the way his daughter tells it is everybody stop paying attention to the movie and just listen to Claude Rains talk about making And that day is the day that live commentaries was created. Right? I think that's such a great story. Um, Yeah, that is super fun. Um, All right. The uh, let's let's do the official body count of this movie, which we have alluded to. But the total body count, according to experts, is 122. There are four murders that you see on screen. There are 18 search party members who are looking for the Invisible Man who are killed off screen. And then you have the derail train, which is credited to another hundred souls lost. So, uh, 122 making the Invisible Man one of the most uh, bloodthirsty of all of the Universal villains. Yeah, he actually. Uh, we actually just recently talked about him on my other show, No More Room in Hell, uh, where of course uh, we did a list of like killers with the highest body count. I think he was two or three from memory on that list. I know we. It's, I know yeah, we beat out Jason. You know, like in the screens. Right, isn't that crazy? The Invisible Man killed more people than Jason in one movie. Yeah, it right in one appearance. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Um, all right, so, uh, uh, the final thing you may not know about the Invisible Man. And hopefully you've learned a lot of stuff uh, as we've been discussing this. But um, Claude Rains, uh, as I mentioned, was from the stage and had been making a lot of arguments about artistic integrity and complaining that, like, you know, no matter what the, the script calls for, we ought to do that because that's what we're in the business of. We're, we're here to, uh, to, to basically... Um, be the vessels through which the writers and directors of, of the thing are able to tell their story. And he was such an outspoken proponent of this. Uh, it didn't occur to him to ask, Hey, how many times am I going to show up in this invisible man movie? And when they, when he finally discovered like, Oh, the, I'm only going to be in the last, you know, few moments of this film on screen. That, uh, according to Reigns himself, it was a, a real, like, well, that's what you get for talking about artistic integrity, so I'm just going to shut up and do it. 
And so that is why he did not complain about the fact that uh, he has less time on screen uh, than any other credited actor in the movie. He has the most lines. He's the title character. He has lead billing. He is in the movie for 20 seconds of the film. So is it just a stand-in when he's in the bandages? I, you know, let, let's say you, his face is only in the movie. For okay, yeah. Seconds. He himself is in, yes, he is in the bandages and all that kind of thing. But, you know, as actors go, they kind of want, you know, the audience looking at them. Uh, and in fact, as a, a little bonus, Gloria Stewart complained uh, quite a bit about making this movie because she said Claude Rains was really up up in her business, made it difficult to do scenes with him. Um, because, you know, he basically just walked all over in the scenes and was for, forcing her back into the plants and shit. Um, so, yeah. Um, it turns out that uh, he was a little bit of an acting bully, and she was not, not terribly upset to, to be leaving that shoot. Um, but... Uh, uh, that is going to do it for this look at the Invisible Man, a movie that I absolutely adore. I am so, so excited about uh, talking about this movie, and uh, and Derek, apologies for uh, how excited I was. It it's but, all good, man. You know, at least I didn't get to talk about the mummy. You know, the spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, the mummy. The mummy will be discussed. Um. But uh, enough about uh, The Invisible Man. Derek, where can people see more of you? Uh, where are you visible online? I am visible on Anchor. I can keep going. <laughs> I am visible on Anchor.fm where you can find my main show, Cinema Attack. We actually are playing a brand new episode that will be recording the Saturday of this recording where we're going to take a look at Japanese splatter films of uh, some of Poe's favorite directors, Naburo Gucci and Yashiro Nishimara. We're yeah. doing, uh, of course, uh, Tokyo Gore Police, Mune Girl Squad, and Dead Sushi. Nice. Nice. Oh, oh yeah. A little mixture. That'll be like volume one so we can continue on and do more of the, those directors' movies pretty much most of the sushi typhoon library yeah oh man i love oh i love those movies so they're so fun Uh, you know but uh, you could also find me on dark discussions uh where i do my main show no more room in hell where uh we're just released episode on the ruins and atrocious uh, two spring break horror movies, those Venom's picks. The next episode, which I will announce for the listeners, is mine. And I decided to do some early 2000s slashers with uh, the movie Cut, which is Australian slasher Molly Ringwald. I don't know if I've ever seen that. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird one. I remember it being weird. It's been a while. But then I also chose the 2007 film Drive Through, which is about a killer clown named Horny that kills people that go to this burger joint. It, it, uh, well, it, 
That, that sounds classy. It's great because they actually have a cameo by Morgan Spurlock as the owner of the burger place. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Boy. You know, but uh, yeah, that's about it for me right now. A few guest appearances were coming up. You know, me and Duncan are doing some things. If you've seen some Facebook posts, they're coming in the near future on the podcast under the stairs. And oh yeah, I forgot creature comforts. Of course, of course, uh, of yeah, course. Yeah, how yeah. can I remember that last show we did? Because we did it twice. <laughs> right, you right. Know, the that relic episode is burned into my brain. You know, we, we just talked about the relic for like three hours, but uh, mm-hmm. not on purpose. But uh, yeah, that was fun. And of course, we have a new episode recorded. That should be out very soon uh, on the film Cloverfield. And that one actually has a special guest as well. Uh, Mr. David Garrett Jr. joins us for that. If you know the podcast under the stairs, listeners, reviews, uh, shows that Duncan does, he's very prevalent on that. And he has his own show, Journey to the Centerfile. Centerfile. So, uh, yeah, that was exciting. It was fun to have him on. I always wanted to record with David. It was a fun time. Excellent, man. Uh, Anything else? Is that it? I mean, that's enough. That's about it. That's been released or being released in the subsequent weeks, Bo, that I know of. Gotcha. All right. Well, hey, man, as always, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Bo. And, And now... I will take my monocade formula and open up a club downtown that caters to the wealthy and sexy. Oh, Studio 54. On an extreme of disco. Yeah. Yes. And it will be owned by Mike Myers. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, boy. What a movie that would be. And not, not, the, not the Mike Myers from 54, but actual, like, Austin Powers Mike Myers. Yeah, be. baby. Smash it. Ugh. I'm stopping this. I'm ending the show now. All right. I'll be right back to close the show. And there you have it. That is my conversation with uh, Derek about the invisible man. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I always have a good time talking to Derek. And I think the invisible man is a tremendous film. Uh, Next week, we are going to be continuing our celebration of the universal monsters. And we're going to talk about maybe the greatest movie of the era which is, of course, uh, The Bride of Frankenstein. And uh, this is another James Whale film. We we can't seem to get away from that guy. Uh, I think you're going to really, really enjoy that conversation as well as uh, Mr. Venom himself, Jerry Cortez, is going to be back. And anytime we get together to talk movies, it gets real nerdy real fast. And I'm excited uh, for you to hear that one. And uh, if you want to drop me a line in the meantime, if you want to chit-chat about these Universal movies, maybe uh, mention which ones you've seen first and, uh, and your reaction to these films, then I encourage you to do so. You can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Dark Parade. You can also find me on Twitter at Dark Parade Pod. I usually check into both of those places at least once a day. Uh, Not a whole lot more than that, but I do check in about once a day. 
and you can also find me on discord if you go to legionpodcast.com forward slash the dash dark dash parade you can find links to all the old shows as well as a, a link to the discord server and i'm usually uh on the discord all day long on the weekdays on account of that is how uh work happens for me and uh, and so i see a lot of that conversation and try to respond as much as i can so uh, feel free to drop me a line at any of those locations and uh, let me know how you're enjoying the series. Uh, as always, I thank you for rating and reviewing and sharing the show uh, whenever possible and however possible. And uh, and I think that's going to do it for this time around. Uh, thanks again for listening. And thanks, as always, for joining the Dark Parade. We'll see you next week.